I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's Psalm 121, which along with Psalms 122 and 123 are the Psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, February the 22nd, 2022. So we have 02 So it's sort of the opposite of a binary thing of ones and zeros. So we've got twos and zeros. So uh, you're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing our look at the um, the book of Ruth today, the first chapter, the first the verses 15 to 22, and then 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 12 to 22, and then Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 13 to 30. So in the Ruth story, remember the story is is the, that at a man named Elimelech from um, Bethlehem, his wife Naomi um, and his children, Malan and Kilian, went to Moab because of a famine in the land of Israel. And while they were there, the three men died, but not before Malan and Kilian had taken wives. And so as Ruth, or Naomi, I mean, here the wives are Orpah and Ruth. So as Naomi hears that the famine is over in uh, the land, she decides to go back. And initially, both her daughters-in-law are going to go with her, and then she dissuades Orpah from going back, and that's where we pick up today. So she, Naomi, said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. You know, she, she's she's gone back to all the familiar things. But Ruth said, no, don't urge me to leave you or return from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God my God. When you die, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. You remember yesterday, the way that I ended the commentary on the Ruth passage was that, that when Orpah left, it says that Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. And so that clinging to is the same word or, or derivation of the word from um, Genesis 2.24, where it says that a, that a man should leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. And so what I was saying was is that there, there is a married kind of language going on. There's marriage covenant kind of language is probably a better way to say that. So, and here, what does she say? She says, may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Well, where do you hear that? in a wedding ceremony, till death do us part. So she is making a covenant um, promise to her mother-in-law, and what she's saying is, I leave everything else behind. I leave my people, I leave my God, or gods, I leave all of that behind, and I, and I put myself completely with you and in your hands. So she has forsaken everything in her past and is now pointed in the direction of where Naomi is and Naomi's people, and Naomi's God. And she knew the difference. And what you see is, is that Naomi says to her that your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, plural. Here, what she says, Ruth says, is your people shall be my people and your God, my God. It's not a plural there. So the two of them went on till they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? 
Now, she's been gone 10 years, and, and probably life and the, the difficulties that, that they had gone through had changed her. She probably didn't look the same. I mean, you know, I've just gotten together with friends that I haven't seen in years, and, and we all changed over that, over that period of time. 10 years can change it a lot. And, and, you know, thank goodness for Facebook, because that way I keep up with people and go, oh, okay, that's what he looks like now. So here the people are asking, is this Naomi? Because she's come back, and she's come back not even alone, really. She's come back with this woman who they're pretty sure probably is a Moabite woman because she's not one of theirs, and they probably had known where the family ended up settling because you can. it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't that far away. So there would have been gossip, I'm sure, about Naomi during that time. And so they asked the question, is this Naomi, which means pleasant now. So she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. So I went away with with a husband and and two sons, and now I come back with none of the above. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? You can hear a little bit of the echo of the the Shunammite woman that... um, I'm losing my mind. That... Elijah goes to you can that widow who takes care of him while the drought's going on you can hear that when because when her son dies her complaint is I knew it I knew it I knew it you came here to expose my sin and so here that's what she's saying the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me and it's because they abandoned the people their own people, and went to the land of Moab. They didn't trust the Lord. Elimelech's name, it was my, my God is king, but he didn't believe it. He abandoned the place, and he abandoned his faith in, faith in the Lord. So he just walked away from everything. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, which is a, a little form of words you're going to see again and again, um, th- there's an implied um, it, it, normal conversation. There would have been an implied rebuke that this Ruth was a Moabite. And so that's why this is here. But, it's, but she is the, the supreme convert, and, the, uh, and she's the one that people look at and say, that's the kind of conversion you want, somebody who leaves everything else behind and comes here. So the, you've got this Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So that's early in the spring is when they've come. So in the gospel today, Jesus has just yesterday's lesson was, was the first 12 verses of Matthew 5, and it was the Beatitudes. And so now he's, we're continuing with the Sermon on the Mount. And he looks at the disciples. That's who he's teaching here. He's on the mountain with the disciples, and we don't know if that's the 12, the 70, or some other number. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And it's, it's important that we, the church, be salt and light, and that's going to be the next metaphor that he uses. You are the salt of the earth. In, in other words, we are the, that which gives its seasoning and flavor. We, we are here for a particular reason. We're here to show what it means to live under the rule and reign of God. We're here to show the, what the kingdom of God looks like on earth in our lives individually, but then also through the life and the ministry and the work of the church. He, so he then says, you're the light of the world. In other words, that you're intended to display the glory of God. You're intended to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation serving our God. A city on a, set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people hide a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the, the point of being God's people is so that the world can see that. They can see the distinction between what it means to be the people of God and what it means not to. They'll see the blessedness that's in that fellowship and in that covenant relationship. Do you not think that I've come to abolish, do not think, sorry, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets? I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So everything that's written there, he says, keep an eye on me, and I'm going to do all of that. I will fulfill every single word that has been written. Everything in the Torah, keep your eye on me. He is, he is uh, drawing a line in the sand and saying, pay attention. Watch. See if I do these things. He's, he's laying it out to say, this is my mission, and you keep an eye on me. I invite you to judge me. I invite you to watch and see if I do these things. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So what he's doing is he's affirming the law. He's affirming all that God has said and said every bit of that is true and right. You've got a misunderstanding and a lot of misunderstanding of, of what it actually means, and I've come here to show you that. And so you may reject what I'm showing you, but I'm telling you it's the truth about how to interpret the law. And so he, he invites people to, to judge him and to watch him and said, I'm going to fulfill it. They're not going to agree. They're going to disbelieve that that's what he's doing. They're going to judge him as, as a lawbreaker and a slanderer, and they're going to judge him to be somebody who is not who he says he is and that he is a blasphemer because he claims equality with God. <clears throat> so then he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do it, the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we don't throw out the law. We don't throw it out. We don't reinterpret it. We don't reimagine it. We don't dumb it down. I mean, and that's the thing that Jesus does again and again. And he's getting ready to explain in the next little bit of the Sermon on the Mount. You're going to see that how Jesus means we're intended to interpret the law. And it's not to weaken the force of the law. It's to tell us that it's way more important than you actually think it is. That it governs not only your actions, but also your thoughts. And and it's there for a purpose. It's there because the, if, if you can begin to see the pattern established, if you can see things in your thoughts that are going to lead to the outward and visible expression of the sin, then you need to put it into check before you ever get there. And, and that's an important thing is in how we're to deal with sin. It's before there's an expression of it. That we're to, we're to see it coming and we're to understand that if I do this, then that's going to ultimately could possibly lead to this. And so he, he's explaining the law in that way, that it has an internal effect, not just an external effect. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not just the things you do. That's the thing. It's your internal thought life that you've got to take control of. It, it, and it's not just your thought life, but it's also the things that you expose yourself to that, that could lead you to sin. It's being in the right place, not the wrong place. It's, it, it's not going to that website. It's going to this website. It's not taking those risks and moving down that road that lead you into visible sin. You've already made the decisions along the way. And, and so the, the, the giving of the Spirit is largely to keep us in, in mind always of, uh-oh, 
I get it. The, the Spirit should be throwing up warning signs in front of us as we start heading down the wrong road. And then the epistle, Paul says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with this simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. In other words, our consciences are clear based on our conduct before you. We don't have anything to apologize for. We, we loved you. We cared for you. We did everything sim- simply and sincerely when we were among you. He says, we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. And so Paul, it, what Paul wants is unity. The Corinthian church was beset by factions. Some follow Paul, some follow Apollo, some follow these people. And so he's, he's having to, to set the record straight in, in this because the, the church in Corinth has tended to go off after sort of um, celebrity preachers, let's say, something like that. So they, they've, they've decided that you've got to do this or you've got to like that person. I have a guy that, that won't have anything to do with people who don't like his favorite preachers. Well, I don't like his favorite preachers, and he knows it. So, but, but he will write people off if they don't find these guys to be great preachers or great whatevers. And it's frustrating beyond belief, and it's exactly the problem in the Corinthian church. And Paul says, so, so look, I'm telling you that all I did was come, upon, come among you, and I preached the gospel to you. That's all I did. I gave you everything that I had. I did the best I could possibly do for you. I didn't make much of myself. I made much of him, and I made much of you. He said, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. Because he had been pretty tough with them in that first letter. He had pretty well laid down the law to them about how how they need to get their divisions and things taken care of, and, and that there was a lot of problems in the Corinthian church. There was a problem in the way they understood the gifts of the Spirit. There was a problem in the way they understood communion. They had, they had problems in many, many different ways, and there were divisions among them based on who they liked the best, but also there seems to have been divisions among them as to, as to wealth, for instance. And so they were making distinctions among people on in ways other than, are you a, a disciple of Jesus Christ? And we see that in the church today. It's creeping into the church today through critical race theory, which would divide us based on racial lines. And Paul would be absolutely furious about that because he's very clear. There's no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. And, and we can't let that come into the church and into our thoughts. We, we need to, to confess and own that things haven't always been perfect. But, but those sins, unless they're our personal sins, they don't define us in any shape, form, or fashion, and everyone else has been set free of those things, and so we, we can't let that become a two-tiered church where we're constantly beating one group of people up for the sins of their ancestors. We, we just can't do that. We can't, we can't allow it either way. He said, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. So he's headed back to Judea, which is ultimately where he's, where he's going to get arrested. He said, was I vacillating when I said I wanted to do this? No. Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but at him it's always yes. 
Now, Paul had to change his plans in traveling from Macedonia because the Spirit prevented him from doing what he had intended to do. But we're told in the book of Acts that the Spirit prevented him from doing that. And so that's the reason that he didn't come there. And he's explaining to them, I didn't, this, this wasn't some whim. I didn't, I didn't make you a promise that I didn't intend to keep. But the Spirit of the Lord prevented me from coming in, in back to Corinth and doing that. And he, says, he said, in Jesus, everything finds their yes. We're, we're not double-minded. We're not trying to pull you in one direction and another. We're not, we're not selling you a bill of goods. <clears throat> he says, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given his spirit in our heart as a guarantee. So Paul is defending at some level, he's defending his apostleship, which is coming to question because these other, that he'll refer to later as the super apostles, they have come and now the people have, have forgotten that Paul's their father in the faith. Paul hasn't forgotten it, hadn't forgotten it for a moment, but, but he's concerned about the way the Corinthian church has received these others and seemingly rejected him and begin to kind of throw off on him. Well, Paul said he was going to do this, and then he didn't do it. So was he just a people pleaser? Was he just telling us that because he knew we wanted to hear it? So there have been questions about Paul and therefore questions about his apostleship because of these things. And so Paul is setting it straight here, and he's being as clear as he can possibly be in doing so, and he's going to continue that line of argument for the next little bit. He's, he, he is jealous for his reputation among them because he says, I shouldn't have a bad reputation among you because I did everything in sincerity and simplicity. I, I came, and he's already said to him in 1 Corinthians, look, I came not in worldly wisdom. I came in you. I knew one thing, and that's Christ and him crucified. I kept it as simple as I could possibly keep it. They had many, many gods in Corinth. Many temples of different gods were there. And so Paul said, I'm just trying to keep this thing simple because I didn't want you to get confused like you've been in the past when you had to figure out this God and that God and how does this God fit with that God. He said, no, no, no. I came in very simple terms and gave you the simplest possible exposition of the gospel, but it was attended, he said, in 1 Corinthians with power. And so he's defending himself by defending his apostleship here, lest anyone lead these people astray. And it's important that we take that attitude, you know? Go back to that statement Jesus made yesterday about blessed are the meek. Well, Paul was definitely not meek in certain ways. Whenever it came to defending himself or defending the gospel, Paul was anything but meek. But one of the things that that the Corinthian church particularly had kind of against him was that, that when he was there in person, he wasn't as impressive, let's say, as he was when he wrote letters and things. And so they, they like these impressive celebrity preachers better. They, these guys are more eloquent. They can, you know, they're stem winders or whatever. And so Paul is defending himself against those charges. And it's important that we keep things simple. You know, we, there's no reason to make things complicated. I've been around way too many pastors, teachers, whatever, that want to make things so complicated. There's no way in the world that you could follow them. Because then it becomes Gnosticism. It becomes, well, I know something you don't know. No, that's not the way it's intended to be, and that's exactly Paul's point here. It's as simple as this. It's as simple as the gospel itself, and Jesus is not trying to make things difficult either. He's trying to make things simple for those for whom things have been made difficult by previous teachers. We just need to keep it as simple as Ruth's confession.